0: chapter number 10 today. Matthew chapter number 10 is where we're going to be. Um, I feel very disjointed. We closed our lesson um, last, or not last week, September 6th. And I even gave you a preview of what was coming up next. And so I said, um, don't like to add to our thought. We're going to continue with what does salvation do for the soul? And uh, we closed last week with what does obedience do for the soul? And basically what we are not last week, last month. um, And so anyways, we uh, talked about how that disobedience disintegrates the soul. So it just kind of has that slow grind to where it just keeps chipping away at it, almost like a wave hitting the sand and pulling it back. And so it just keeps chipping away. But then we said that obedience really develops or builds the soul so that as you obey, obeying again becomes easier. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to put that into the context of um, what does salvation do for the soul? What does salvation do for the soul? Because here's why. We understand that obedience to God's laws brings blessing. Disobedience brings cursing or brings problems. However, in the age of grace that we live in, post-crucifixion, post-resurrection, post-gospel, we have an opportunity to be able to say, okay, my obedience does not determine my destination, right? We would all agree with that, that your obedience does not dictate your eternity. However, To say that obedience has no really bearing on us as Christians is also wrong. A lot of times we have a hard time finding that line of saying, well, because of what Jesus Christ has done, I obey. Not I obey to get what Jesus Christ has done or to earn it, but I obey in light of it. And so we want to bring all that really to a head. I believe that today's lesson is kind of the... um, I guess if you want to say the peak of our series. And so we're, we've kind of been working up the mountain. Everything's going to come to a head, and then we're going to work back down it uh, after uh, starting next week. And so I want you to really pay attention because, as I said at the beginning of this series, and I know that's kind of a, it's kind of a big sell, but out of all the series that we've done in Crosspoint as a class, I believe that this one is the most important because I believe that it provides a context to number one, what we're seeing in today's society, but also number two, I believe that it gives a lot of the answers to why the Christian life sometimes can be so difficult. And the truth is, is that many of us sitting in this room today, you're in church, so you're ahead of most most Christians, okay? Chances are you have developed good relationships You want to do what's right, or you wouldn't be here. You've got every excuse in the book to not be here. And so how does that equate to our soul and developing our relationship with God? I meant to mention this at the beginning of class, there weren't handouts, the printer was down, but if you want to pull out your email, if your email address is in our system, um, I shot you an email this morning with that handout. And so I meant to mention that, that way you still have the application questions and um, you still have the um, handout. Obviously, you probably can't fill in the blank on on your phone, but if we have your email address, it said it went to 97 participants, so and the world knows who got it. But if we have your email address, (laughs) it might've gone to the Senior Sunbeams group. I don't know. But anyways, um, 99 people in our church have the handout for today. Hopefully you're one of them, all right? Matthew chapter number 10. Let's look at verse number 28. The Bible says this. It says, "'And fear not them which kill the body,' this is Jesus talking, "'but are not able to kill the soul.'" but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Okay, so here's what he's talking about. A lot of times our fear is, well, what if I see someone scary in a dark alley and they try to kill me, right? Well, hopefully you're not frequenting too many dark alleys, but what fear is, what uh, can someone else do to me? So Jesus says, don't fear them, fear someone who is able to destroy the soul, But then he's basically saying, no one can destroy your soul. No one here on this earth. God can destroy the soul. But then he actually furthers the statement by saying, Fear those fear who can destroy the soul and the body in hell, obviously referring to salvation. He says in verse number 29, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore ye are of more value than any sparrows. So here's the reason why I give you those last three verses even in the midst of really teaching us what to fear in this life, Jesus himself has a way of showing his care. He says, don't fear those who can hurt you physically. Fear someone who can hurt you internally. And then fear the most, the one who can separate your soul eternally. But then he follows that statement with this. Don't you know that you are more valuable than a sparrow and I know when a sparrow falls. The very hairs of your physical head are numbered. And so even in the midst of Jesus trying to teach us where the soul is going to go and how valuable a soul is, he says, I care for you. And the best way that Jesus Christ has shown his care for us is through salvation. And so I want you to listen today because I think that what we're about to talk about can really unlock a key in your Christian life that could change the perspective that you have toward it. And so let's pray. Let's ask God to help us and uh, ask God to give us a good rest of the class. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity you've given us to be back in uh, class. Lord, we know that there are some that are still sick. Lord, some that are still recovering. Pray that you would be with them. Lord, I pray that you would be with others in our church who are um, sick and Lord, uh, recovering as well. Lord, I ask that you would give them strength, help them to be able to uh, kick this quickly and be able to be back in church. Lord, I pray that you would bless our class, Lord bless this lesson. Lord, I pray that you would help those that almost feel a disconnect in their Christian life, that they would listen, that your Holy Spirit would speak to their heart, and Lord, that we would be able to walk out these doors and apply this to our life. In your name we pray, amen. With all that we've talked about, obviously the study of the soul, Can almost feel complex, can it? Um, I told you at the beginning of the series that this word "soul" is used in the Bible over 850 times. There's a lot of depth to it. There's something about when we talk about the soul, it almost feels like, oh, well, we're about to get into some deep philosophy here, right? Like if you, there's times to where I even asked you at the beginning of this series. I think it was lesson two. I said, how many of you have ever gotten tired? And a couple of you raised your hand. I said, how many of you ever felt a tiredness that almost feels deeper, like a tiredness in your soul? And some of you are like, yeah, like some of you are like, that's where I am like all year, all right? And so there is something that has to do with the depth of the soul that almost feels complex and almost feels scary, kind of like, well, I feel like I need to lay down on a couch and close my eyes and talk to someone who's sitting in a chair with a cup of tea, which I have a cup of tea, so we can talk, all right? But, um, that's, it's kind of like, oh, this feels like a counseling session. But here's what I want you to understand. The soul is something that only God can see. And so something that is so complex and almost sounds scary in our society, almost like, well, we don't want to touch it. We don't want to talk about it. We're going to bring it down very simply today. And here's what I want you to understand, that if the soul is something that only God can see, then it is something that only He can save. And through that saving, it is something that only He can change. The truth is, is that some of you in this room, whether you want to admit it or not, your soul is marked. Yes, you've you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, but for whatever reason, the circumstances in your life have either made you bitter, they've stolen the joy out of your Christian life, Some of you, it's just that you've gotten into the discipline of the Christian life. I show up, I go to church. Can I just be very honest with you? In today's world, I'm done with the hypocritical, just show up to church, I did my job, let's check it off of a list. If you don't take what is taught here on Sunday and live it on Monday, it doesn't matter. Congratulations, you got a ticket punched to heaven. But you're not going to change the world and your life is not going to change. And so what we have got to get past as Christians and as a church and as society and as young adults is looking for the easy way out on Christianity. Is looking for, I just want to do the bare minimum. I just want to show up. I just want to, oh, here I am. I checked the box. I I read my Bible today. No, if God has the power to save the soul and he has the power to save it eternally and give you a new destination, then he also has the power to change who you are from the inside out, not just from the outside, from the inside out. I don't care if your hair's cut. I don't care what, what the outside looks like. I don't care about the music that you listen to because here's why. You can trick someone into believing that you are a good Christian and be living horribly on the inside. And Christianity doesn't just change you externally. It changes you internally. And because of the internal change, it changes you externally. And so what we are talking about today is something that is far deeper and far more important than what you just do on the outside, what you do just to show up. What we're talking about is something that starts here and begins to work its way out and it becomes real and it becomes alive and it becomes something that you enjoy and that actually is what the Bible promises. And so that was a really harsh and long introduction, but let's talk about this. What does salvation do for the soul? First of all, and it's going to seem redundant, but I want you to see it, salvation saves the soul. Here what we're talking about is we're talking about eternity. Salvation saves the soul eternally. This is life after death. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter number 1. 1 Peter chapter number 1. I want you to see this. This is such a powerful passage. I would encourage you to go back and read it on your own. I'm actually going to encourage you to go back and read several passages on your own today, okay? 1 Peter chapter number number 1 verse 3. I'm going to go ahead and start reading for sake of time because we're going to read down through verse number 12. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So he's giving the gospel. Verse number four, to an inheritance incorruptible. Now he's talking about heaven. So he says, in light of Jesus' resurrection, we have an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. So eternity, once again, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season it need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Let's stop for just a second. Let's give some context here, okay? Peter is writing this to Christians that have been scattered as a result of persecution. And he says, as a result of your salvation, your eternal destiny, he says, there are going to be hard times. There's going to be things that are difficult. There are things that you are experiencing right now that you cannot understand, but it's for a short time. And I want you to listen to this. He says, shall be manifest in the last days, in the last times. Do you want to know when Christianity is at its best is when the world is at its worst? And sometimes our our human nature is, well, the world's getting bad. Guess it's time for me as a Christian to go hunker down. And, And there are times that it gets like that. But Christianity should be at its best when the rest of the world is at its worst. And that shows in the last times it shows who are the real authentic christians when times get tough he says in verse number seven that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth though it be tried with fire might be found unto praise and honor and the glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love. So he's now referring to Jesus. In whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. He says you are joyful because of someone you've never even seen, but you believed in him. So what does that do? Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of, of your souls. The end of your faith is death. And at that moment is when the salvation of your soul comes into play so your soul is saved eternally he says of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you this is something your salvation your eternal home in heaven is something that has literally been building since god created the earth since god created the earth let that sink in let it sink in that when god created this world he knew what was going to occur to you and put a plan in place to save you eternally. That changes the way you view the hardships of this life. Now all of a sudden, this life is a short time knowing that I have this salvation, this eternal destiny waiting for me. So the sal- so salvation saves the soul, but then notice secondly, and we'll move on, salvation silences the soul salvation silences the soul i want you to look at this take your bibles and turn to psalm chapter number 43 psalm chapter number 43 if jesus told those around him to not fear those who could hurt the body physically but to fear that which could hurt the body internally and separate the soul in hell then let's get some context for what salvation actually is okay Salvation saves the soul. It changes your eternity. But I want you to listen to this because I think that this is where most of the people in this room and most of the Christians in this world and in this church are living today. Is that salvation does not just change your eternity, it has the power to change your reality as well. And if it doesn't, then let's just stop and shut it down and wait till Jesus calls us home. But I am of a firm belief that this thing that we have preached and taught for over 2,000 years does not just hinge upon eternity in heaven. It hinges upon how we live our lives day to day. And here's what sometimes I think we fall into. We fall into the trap of thinking that salvation is only going to be good and worth it when we get ready to die. We've used it as a fire escape, even good, godly Christians. I fear hell, I prefer heaven, so I'm going to get saved. Sometimes that's even how we spin it when we talk to people, don't we? Hell's a really bad, hot place. Probably don't want to go there, do you? Heaven's a great place. So, what's your choice? Well, it's like, well, who wouldn't choose that? But here's what I've got to get you to see salvation is not just something that is choosing between heaven and hell. It is actually something that can change your tomorrow. It can change the way that you live today. It can change how you see this world and the philosophy and lens by which you see all of these troubles. And so salvation, yes, it does save your soul. And that is great. And that gives us hope for life after death. But it does so much more than that. Salvation also silences the soul. Look at Psalm chapter number 43. Also, I'm, I want to mention this because I found it interesting and something that I read this week as I was studying, is that in Scripture, you never see someone talk to their selves. You see them talk to their souls. How many of you talk to yourself? You can be honest. My hand's up. I talk to myself, okay? Okay a lot. In fact, the other day, I I had to go into Lowe's for one of the projects that we were working on, and um, my wife didn't have her phone, so our kids were like, can we listen to music? And I was like, well, I'll just leave my phone. Well, I got in there, and I didn't think about what size certain boards were, and so I was having to do like weird math in my head, and I'm sitting there looking at boards, and going, 12 and a half divided by three and a half is and I'm like talking to myself. And I told her when I got in the car, I was like, everybody probably thought I was a crazy person in there, but I was trying to do math in my head and I had to talk it out. Or my thing is I can forget what I'm going to get from one room to the other. And so I say it all the way to the next room, right? Get my phone, 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 get my phone. And then I get to there and I'm like, get my phone, got it, all right. But if I didn't, I would walk in there and be like, "Mm, all right, I can't remember and leave, right? But in scripture, no one talks to their self. My dad does this thing sometimes. Actually, you probably heard him say it in a sermon. He said, one day I said to myself, self? And he like direct addresses himself. So he says, one day I said to myself, self, what are you doing? What? No one in Scripture talks to themselves. They talk to their souls. And here's why. Because anything that is done for God or done against God is not something that is always dictated by the mind or the body. Typically, it is dictated much deeper by the soul. Meaning that when you get frustrated, when you get tired, when you get mad, those are not feelings that come from your body. Well, I just got a hot temper. I just, I, that's just who I am. No, that is something that is deep within your soul, that God has the power to change. We actually see that conversation in Psalm 43. He says this, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why are you depressed? Why are you discouraged? Why are you down on yourself, soul? Anybody ever been there, right? Man, why am I so so down today? Why am I so discouraged? Why why do I feel like this? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? What's the answer to that? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What's the answer to some of the things that you feel in life? What's the answer to road rage? I actually have seen like five blogs or tweets or something on a, of a Christian perspective on road rage and impatience. And it's like, okay, Holy Spirit, I get it, all right? I'm, I'm working on it, right? But what's, what, why do you feel that way? And how do you respond? God, why, why do I feel discouraged? God, why am I anxious about this situation? God, why am I nervous about this? Have you ever asked yourself that? David actually gives the answer in his own conversation with his soul. I want you to listen what he says to himself or to his soul. Why are you cast down? Why are you disquieted? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Can I encourage you with something this week? When you have feelings that you know do not come from God, when you have that moment of anger, when you have that moment of frustration, when you have that moment of stress, can I encourage you to do a little practice? And it's something that I'm actually going to try to practice this week as well. Talk to your soul. All right. Why am am I mad right now? Why am I stressed out about this right now? But don't just talk and ask yourself the question. Respond the same way that David did. My hope's in God. I'm going to praise Him. I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to let Him be my joy. And the only way that that occurs for us as New Testament Christians is through salvation. So if salvation has the power to save the soul, it also has the power to silence the soul meaning that it gives the answers to the questions that we have. This is going to sound dumb and, and and somewhat shallow, but how many of you remember maybe if you went to Christian school or you were raised in Christian education or maybe even Sunday school, like there was always the one kid that was like, Jesus is always the answer, right? And so it was like there would be Bible trivia. And everybody's like shaking their head like, oh, yeah. And some of you are like, that kid was me, all right? Don't raise your hand, all right? But it was like Bible trivia, and it's like, who was the prophet that was taken up in a chariot of fire? And they said, Jesus! And it's like, no, that's actually not right. Like, that's not the answer to the question, okay? But all of the problems that you face in life, Jesus really is the answer. Which leads us to this last thought, and that is this, is that salvation does not only save the soul, and it does not only silence the soul, because you have hope in God, but salvation solves the soul and here's the reason why i say that your soul is needy your soul will be filled with something i can't remember who said it but i read a quote this week that says that human beings are limited in every capability in every capacity except for the capability to desire we always want more we always want something else and if you're not careful you will try to plug the hole in your soul with everything this world has to offer this is going to be this is going to be somewhat of another dumb shallow illustration but i think it'll help you a donut obviously in the middle of it there's a hole right i was thinking about this the other day because we went to get donuts and they said they were out of donut holes and it's like you have don- Actually, the people we were with are like, you have donuts, you should have donut holes, right? <laughs> and I don't know whose idea it was to think that, like, you know what, this piece of bread would need, would be better with this piece of bread, other than sugar glazed all around, is if we cut a hole in the middle and put sugar on the hole that we cut out, right? But you can probably fill that hole with a lot of different things, but nothing will be a perfect fit, will it? except for the peace that was taken out of it and when sin entered into this world there was a hole that was placed in our soul adam and eve had perfect communion and relationship with god and it was removed because of sin and so the relationship that they had with god now became distanced And since that moment, man has tried to fill that hole with everything that this world has to offer. Power, money, immorality, sexual gratification, fame, fortune, you name it. We've filled it with everything, but the only thing that will fit perfectly is what was there before. And that was God. You've got a passage there on your paper, we want, or on your handout that I hope you'll refer to Isaiah chapter number forty, verses three through eight. Isaiah writes, and he's a he's the prophet for the people of God, and he actually said God says, "Cry out," basically preach, tell these people something, and he says, "What shall I cry?" And he says, "You should you should cry this." that their bodies are as grass. The famous verse, verse number 8, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. James cross-references that in the New Testament with James chapter number 1, verse 8. It says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Meaning you can't have this both ways. You can't choose God and the world to fill that void. But then he says this in verse 11, for the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass and the flower thereof falleth and the grace of the fashion of it it," perish. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Here's the context of that whole thing. What this world has to offer will never satisfy your soul. You'll always want more you'll always want something else, you'll always want something bigger. Only God can satisfy that. Only God can satisfy your relationship problems. Only God can satisfy your financial issues. Only God can satisfy the things in your life that if you're not careful, you will spend your days weeks months years and lifetime chasing only to get them and have them stress you out okay that's what i'm learning the older i get all the stuff in life that i ever wanted sometimes when i get it it ends up making me mad because it didn't work the way that i thought it should okay we have phones that cost us more than what some people would spend in a whole year and what do we do when they don't load fast enough right? I swipe down. It's just that little circle, right? We have computers that if I, like on a MacBook, if you get the little rainbow wheel, I call it the spinny wheel of death. Like, it's like, oh my, oh my goodness, I can't even click on anything. Are you serious right now? Like, and for all of human history up until this point, they've lived without one. But I get the little rainbow and it is not a promise of God's providence. It's like, that's awful, Like, I need to go for a walk and just settle my mind. (laughs) And guess what? No new car, no new phone, no new computer, no new relationship will fill the hole in your life. Because only God was intended to fill that. And it is one thing for your eternity to be changed. But it is something completely different for your reality to be changed and there's some of you sitting in this room today that yes you will spend eternity in heaven but right now eternity is the furthest thing from your mind because you can't get past what's happening right in front of your face you're tired you're stressed you're anxious you're depressed you're discouraged you put any type of problem in that in that equation and here's what i will tell you you have to add god to the equation You have to add God to the conversation. My soul is tired, hope in God. I'm depressed, I'm discouraged, I'm overwhelmed, I I can't figure this out, hope in God. Your hope is not in your efficiency or your productivity or how good you are or, or anything else. Your hope is in God. So let's find a way this week to set aside chasing the world and trying to fill that void with what it has to offer and begin to search diligently for God as Scripture says. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let's Thanks for listening. If this lesson is helpful to you, feel free to share it with someone else or let us know by emailing us at crosspoint at franklinroad.org. You can also check us out at frbc underscore crosspoint on instagram and twitter we look forward to connecting with you again soon